0: I'm Hannah.
1: I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row.
0: Woohoo!
1: Woo! Yay. Very exciting. There's been yes. a lot
0: going on in the world of true crime lately.
1: Yep. Yes. Um, you have either been dead or under a rock if you <laughs> haven't been following the escaped inmate story from Alabama i no need to say their names alabama
0: story that has ever occurred in the history of alabama
1: yes they were captured one is dead off you fuck lady you you know i mean but i did want to highlight that there is a victim at the center of this it's her Mm -hmm. name is connie ridgeway about um she was found murdered in her apartment, stabbed to death. And what was Mm. um, an apparent robbery by all accounts. She was just a sweet, nice Christian woman. She lived in uh, Ridgeway, Alabama. Uh, She had two sons that loved her very dearly. Um, and it took five years before I don't want to say his name, but I will Casey white was arrested for, Mm -hmm her murder and he confessed and her family still doesn't have answers. Um, and this douche canoe, Goliath behemoth, whatever you want to call him felt like, Oh yeah, you know, I'll just run to Indiana or whatever. Um, but there is a Facebook page justice for Connie Ridgeway. So Mm -hmm. if you are interested in keeping up with the very, very sad death of Connie Ridgeway, that was you know, kind of at the center of the whole thing, uh, go follow that page for updates. And much
0: like you can't trust a Terry, never trust (laughs) a man named Casey.
1: Yes.
2: Yes. Yeah. I was, um, reading a story this morning about her and, you know, it just, I get so angry at people who don't pick on people, their own size. Like this man is, it was huge. And this lady was your, your average mom. Mm -hmm. he could be a grandmother. I don't know, but, um, you know, pick on somebody your own size. You think you're going to rob somebody, go find a guy as tall as you don't pick on this mother, you know, this woman who's just minding her own business, living her life, as you say, enjoying, you know, living life. She's got her son. She went to church. Like she just seemed like a nice lady. Like she didn't deserve that. So Yeah justice for her for sure because absolutely leave women alone yes,
0: yes. miss hannah
2: hannah you had something for us
0: yes so um you know the climate apocalypse isn't going great
2: <laughs> Nope. um
0: but which means that lake mead um which is on the border of california and nevada very close to ye old las vegas Um, So the once in 600 years drought that they've been having in that area, everything's fine. Everything's fine. You guys, Mm -hmm. we're not boiling alive in a hell of our own making or anything. (laughs) Um, Well, bodies have been coming up as the lake starts to lose water and drain uh, bodies have been coming up. Um, The first one was found in a barrel, which is a good (laughs) sign. Um, And dates to the 80s. Uh, They found yet another one that's probably in the 60s to 70 range. So prime Vegas mob Mm -hmm. uh, times. So it's going to keep drying up. And bodies are gonna keep popping up so
1: they will find some missing people yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah i think there's gonna be a lot of uh cold cases that might get solved yeah yeah for or sure at Thanks, or, or at least half, or at least half solved at least find exactly the they'll at least know where they are Thanks, yeah, climate crazy. change. i
1: yeah, had sure. not read about that so i'm gonna have to go yes. do a a Google after we finish recording, but yes. uh, we are doing things a little bit differently this week. Sheena and I both have two stories, um, and instead of doing both of ours all at once, we're going to split it up. So, I'll do one, then Hannah, then Sheena, right? I no. think so. And then
2: and then you, and then me. Yeah. Yes. Yes.
1: Yes. I've got yeah. it. I got it. Yes. I'm good. You do. I'm
2: yes.
1: Good. So so I'm going to kick things off um since and the, um,
2: oh go ahead hold on, I was gonna say let's mention the topic which is oh, wow, yeah.
1: um
2: yeah, because you know when you're looking for <laughs> that good historic sports ball content you go to Cemetery <laughs> Row
1: absolutely <laughs> um
2: there Jakes. are no balls in my story
1: <laughs> either one oh so. my was yes. that a
0: gimme? Did you just
1: hand me that on a silver platter? Probably.
0: Yes. Here's a ball reference for you, Hannah. I know it's <laughs> been a while.
1: So, as I'm sure both of you know, and everybody listening who has a social media account knows, um, just like the first Saturday in May, a little horse named Rich Strike, who wasn't even supposed to be in the Kentucky Derby. Was entered seconds before entries closed, given 80 to one odds cost 3,000, or not 3,000, cost 30,000 dollars in a claiming race, which uh, for those of you not in the know, that just means that you can buy a horse that's in a claiming race. So the guy that owns this horse. Paid $30,000 for him after watching him race. Uh, He came from out of nowhere and defeated the heavily favored million dollar thoroughbreds to win the industry's premier race for three-year-old horses. His story is truly amazing. Even if he fails to achieve another win, he's going to go down in the history books. As his owner, Rick Dawson, trainer, Eric Reed, and jockey, Sonny Leon, this was the first time the three of them had ever participated in the Kentucky Derby, so huge, huge victory, not just for the long shot, but just for these gentlemen in general. Very, very happy for them. And he I did loved... it
0: by biting them. No, 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 no. no hey, that hey. was after he got. Oh, okay. He got.
2: He had some fun afterwards, but no, I, oh, I just okay. He had a
0: victory that lap.
2: He. I, I just love that he absolutely ticked off a bunch of rich people. Oh, like, God, good, for good for you. Good for you.
1: Lots of people lost money. And yep. to kind I'd of address to it. <laughs> Yeah, to address some of the controversy around it. So after the race, the guy that was his outrider who, you know, rides up and helps stop the horse. Um, he got a little flack for what people viewed as abusive behavior towards mm-hmm. Rich Strike because the horse was attacking him, basically. <laughs> uh, God rich strike did not understand what was going on he was hyped up he's a stallion he's young he just won the biggest race of his career and he was full of you know (laughs) (laughs) he was he was full of it and he's over a thousand pounds the jerking that the outrider was doing that's not going to have any impact on that horse. I hate that it was something that has been so visible um, mm-hmm. because yeah, it sucks. I would hate to be caught disciplining, reprimanding a horse in that way. It's at the end of the day, you've got to do whatever you can to control that animal. Because if he had gotten loose from the he outrider, could somebody, he could have killed somebody. He could have injured himself. He could have hurt his jockey. And that outrider was doing whatever he could to keep that horse under control. And it's just sad that it had to go to the lengths it did. So
2: it it looks like, too, he was trying to bite the horse. He was biting everybody. He was biting everything. Like, he was trying to bite the reins, trying to bite the other Mm -hmm. horse. And I was just like, (laughs) yeah, I was kind of thinking the same thing. I'm like, heck, yeah, you got some energy to you, some spunk. But I was like, you do need to chill, sir. You just won. Like, let's show some class. Well, I mean, that was
0: like with um hank who i did end up having to rehome back with the rescue so send your hate mail somewhere else um but he was like i would have to use my entire body to like get him to obey me or get him to like understand what i was asking of him and there were times where i just had to like scoop him up and like carry him like a baby and he was enormous and it's like if you don't chill something Horrified,
1: is going to happen so i need you to chill right and this is a gigantic animal that does not realize that they could easily murder you without a second's hesitation Um, absolutely so you know very sad situation but that horse was not hurt (laughs) by what that outrider was doing he was trying to save his body from any more bruises
0: yeah oh yeah Uh,
1: so in horse l-
0: is my hero
1: yes yes he was not fucking around nope he was taking everybody out uh, so so <laughs> in light it. so in light of this victory i thought it would only be fitting to talk about two of horse rating horse ratings
2: horse
1: <laughs> racing's greatest athletes jockey isaac burns murphy who even more than 100 years after his death is considered one of the greatest jockeys of all time hell yeah And the original long shot exterminator, a thoroughbred gelding who came from out of nowhere to win the 1918 Kentucky Derby at 30 to one odds. Damn. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to start.
1: Oh, go ahead. I was like, I don't gamble, but that sounds like fun. Yes. <laughs> so I'm going to start with Exterminator. I first learned his story when I was el- in elementary school. There was a book uh, that was published in 1955 called Old Bones, the Wonder Horse. And it was by a lady named <laughs> Mildred Mast- Mastin Pace. And it was illustrated by the same guy who illustrated all the Misty of Chikajig, um Stormy, Misty's Fall, all of those books. So fantastic artwork. And it told the story of Exterminator, one of the greatest horses in history, who almost wasn't. And let me explain why. Had the greatest name in history. Yes. Exterminator was ugly. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, carry on. (laughs) He was tall, gangly, plain. And he topped out at what people estimate to be 17 hands. For those of you that don't know what this means... There's four inches to a hand in how you measure horses, and you measure them from, uh, you want them standing on level ground from the ground to the highest point of their back, which is called the wither. So he was 68 inches tall at his wither, or about five foot six, and that does not include his neck and head. So he was massive.
0: Okay, I was huh. about to
1: ask, is that tall or not? <laughs> it's tall, because that is at the highest point of their back, not including. Oh, yeah. And I'm what? five foot, so that's yeah. still, well, okay. Yeah, no, that is big. That's above, like, my horses, I can look over their back. Right. I would not right. be able to do that with this horse.
2: Right. Um,
1: so, because he was so ugly, his owner, J. Cal Milam, had him gelded, so no babies for exterminator.
2: oh. <laughs> Jeez.
1: If only you know, we could do that. Never mind. I'm a stop. <laughs> oh. I'm going to stop. Listen, you know,
2: some right of us just are lines. not graced with beauty. Okay. And right. we just, <laughs> you poor can't just be, Yes.
1: Uh, so he did okay in his two-year-old season, but Milam decided to put him up for sale before he was three. And now we meet Henry McDaniel, who was the trainer of Sunbriar, a Derby hopeful who was owned by Newspaper Man and millionaire Willish Sharp Kilmer Kilmer had approved McDaniel to spend $700 on a workhorse to use in training sessions with Sunbrier who had been named 1917's two-year-old champion colt and was heavily favored to win the Kentucky Derby Instead and this is in 1917-1918 uh-oh what McDaniel then? McDaniel spent <laughs> Nine thousand dollars and some fillies to purchase Exterminator, <laughs> oh wow,
0: <laughs> and he I can't believe did not understand that assignment.
1: <laughs> I did not do the inflation calculator, but that is a shit ton of money. That was a oh, shit yeah. ton of money, then it's a shit ton oh, of yeah. money now, so right. uh, so he you know did that to purchase Exterminator because he liked the way he looked hey, and you know. Throughout his racing career, Exterminator was known as Old Bones or the <laughs> Galloping Hat Rat because of how gangly he was. Oh, goodness. Bless his heart. He could not catch a break. The New York Herald wasn't impressed with the horse either. They wrote, quote, Exterminator isn't old, but he is hollow above the eyes like an old horse and is such a homely, awkward, dejected looking figure when standing around without anything to do with those long legs of his that anybody would be excusable for guessing he was older in quote
0: are we not going to, to hug like this guy talk or about this horse? that horses just look weird anyway
1: <laughs> like they're bless his heart majestic creatures but they're put together very odd yeah <laughs> yes so kilmer rightly was pissed at mcdaniel he hated bones and would only refer to him as that truck horse or that goat, oh. uh, but McDaniel saw something in bones. In fact, this horse was beating Sunbriar in regular workouts. And the only reason he wouldn't beat him is if the, the exercise rider was holding him back. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So Sunbriar who, you know, is the tall, sexy Brad Pitt of thoroughbreds, mm-hmm. uh, he just progressively got worse and worse and it turned out he had ring bone and had to be mm-hmm. pulled out of that year's kentucky derby don't oh. worry he went on to be a very successful racehorse made money, oh, okay. and was oh, a good. stallion so he got oh something. he got nookie good good for him. <laughs> him. uh kilmer was suddenly without a horse for the prestigious race and even though old bones was qualified to enter kilmer refused to let the goat wear his prestigious race colors. What a bitch. <laughs> it wasn't until the president of Churchill Downs, Matt Wynn, commented how much he liked Bones that Kilmer relented and entered him in the 1918 Kentucky Derby at 30 to 1 odds. Uh, Here's and come,
2: exterminator, let's yes. go.
1: Matt Wynn would later say that Exterminator was the greatest racehorse of all time. So Hell yeah. Heck yeah, it goes well. Uh, <laughs> on a sloppy, <laughs> muddy track, Bones came up from behind and won the race by a length. Oh, oh man. That's a yay. sentence that could have gone
0: a bunch <laughs> of different
1: ways. Oh, yes. Get your mind <laughs> out of the gutter it's uh, attached to me. <laughs> mcdaniel would later say quote exterminator is the most honest generous and admirable horse i have ever trained some oh of the... yeah now that he's
0: oh, no, no 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 this that, is, that is was... the trainer okay. Okay. this is the
1: trainer i
0: was about to say the owner could get fucked
1: yeah no this is the trainer some of the best horsemen in the country have been a long time learning to take Exterminator seriously
0: hell and yeah quote. good for him oh
1: Bones would race until the age of nine, which is practically unheard of for a thoroughbred. Like they'd barely make it past their three-year-old season and they're retired. Um, and that's because horses aren't done developing until they're about four or five years old. And these people are training them to race and run and put so much pressure on their legs before they're even two. And that is why there are so many injuries and broken legs and all kinds of stuff thank you for coming to my Ted talk. I do not support (laughs) racing two-year-olds. Um, anyway, so, uh, (laughs) by his retirement, he had raced a whopping 99 times. Jesus. Out of those 99 races, he won 50 placed second in 17 and third in an additional 17.
2: All right.
1: His final, his final race was on June 24th, 1924 in Montreal, Canada. He came in third, and it was then decided it's time. He had suffered some minor aches and pains associated with age, and it was just, it was time to let him rest. He was moved to a private barn in Virginia with a companion pony named Peanuts. Oh Peanuts. And in fact, there were four red ponies that served as his companion, because when the first one died, Bones went in. And- Insane, basically. Aww. And they had to find an identical pony the night the the first uh peanuts died because he was going to hurt himself. Aww. Um so throughout his life he had four ponies. Um Kilmer actually grew to love him. So these and were emotional support ponies? Yes, they those I were his love buddies it. Yes. named Peanuts. Peanuts, I all four were named Peanuts. Peanut. Um Kilmer did grow to love him.
0: I bet yeah. he did. I mean,
1: <laughs> Bones did win more than $250,000 for mm-hmm. Kilmer, which today is the equivalent of $4.2 million, mm-hmm. All right. which isn't a lot in today's money. But back then, that, $4.2 million lot. is nothing I'll to shake f- pick out. Take it? God damn. Yes. Every year on Bones' birthday, Kilmer's wife, Sarah, would throw him a birthday party, inviting all the kids from the area to come enjoy cake and ice cream and have their picture taken with the racing legend. Oh, He was super gentle and just adored the attention that was showered on him. So... Kilmer died in 1940, um, so Bones was moved to Binghamton, New York, where he lived out his remaining years before passing at the age of 30 in 1945. So a good life there. Um, he was buried with fellow Kilmer race horses Sunbriar and Santika at Whispering Pines Pet Cemetery in Binghamton, and allegedly his four pony companions are resting with him.
2: Oh, good
1: now what there, color was exterminator he was a chestnut so he was kind of a dark brown okay
2: um I'm looking at photos right now and listen I think he's handsome he's very handsome I always loved he, him he has um, some long legs <laughs> but he's handsome there's nothing yes. wrong with having legs
1: yes yeah, so I have a picture of his headstone which he shares with Sunbriar and Santika. um there's no record of whether or not the peanuts are buried there. That is just what's kind of been passed down. So I love it. RIP exterminator. And that is the first half of my story for this week. Good job. Blue who I love it.
2: Okay.
0: Mine is not horses. (laughs) Um, but it is an early retirement, so we do have some some beginnings here um because there's there's at one point where this particular where they talk about their age creeping up on them, and they're just turning thirty, yeah, <laughs> and so me at thirty eight get a little activated, <laughs> so when you think of the sport of cycling, oh sirens they're coming for you,
1: Hannah, run, <laughs> somebody died.
0: Yeah. They're going to the old folks home next
1: door. I didn't mean it. I know.
0: No, there's always an ambulance there. So it's, it's the neighborhood I live in is like 87 and above. It's just, (laughs) it is what it is. Okay. So when you think of the sport of cycling, the imagery is probably really white cycling is a sport with a higher cost of entry than many other sports bicycles aren't cheap Um, racing cycles definitely aren't cheap Mm -hmm. and a host of requirements that can be prohibitively expensive for marginalized groups Um, you have to have a place to cycle that's safe and has good ground you know you can't cycle over potholes and whatnot Um, there's a lot of infrastructure that has to be in place for you to be able to cycle and to practice cycling and it doesn't exist for a lot of people Mm -hmm. however marshall walter nicknamed major taylor broke the mold for black cyclists and integrated sports teams across the country mere decades after the civil war ended marshall walter taylor was born in indianapolis on november 26 1878 to gilbert taylor a civil war veteran good for you gilbert and y'all I love this. Aphrodisiac Keller Taylor. Oh, yes. I love it. Get
1: Not it, surprisingly,
0: Aphrodisiac had eight children. <laughs> Get it, girl. Yes. So they had moved to Indianapolis from Kentucky. So around eighteen eighty seven. So when um our boy Marshall was maybe nine years old, his father began working in Indianapolis as a coachman. Um, Again, this is pre-cars, so he's driving a stagecoach for a wealthy white family named Southard. Marshall became friends with Southard's son, Daniel, and would spend the years from about age eight or so, again, record keeping is kind of spotty, to about age 12 in the Southard home, being tutored alongside Daniel. That's a huge, huge boon.
1: So similar to my next story. Okay. Like, we're on track. It's here. crazy. Yeah. yeah very, very similar. So it was it really gave
0: him advantages, especially as a little boy of color, that he would not have otherwise gotten. The Southers moved to Chicago, which if you're in Indianapolis, Chicago's the step up. And Marshall moved back with his family. Before they left, though, the Southers bought Marshall a bicycle and the key to his future. Around the age of 13 or 14, Marshall took a job at a local bicycle shop and for $6 a week, which is about a little bit more than $175 in today's money, Hmm. and a bicycle worth $35, which is about $1,000 today, he cleaned the shop and performed stunts outside the store. His tendency to wear a military uniform while performing these stunts earned him the nickname Major. I can't help but harken back to the character Clifford who did motorcycle stunts and Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. I was thinking the same thing.
1: I was thinking the same thing. And I was like, part of me was like, I I wanted to do uh, Sonora Carver for this one. Same. But I'm like, we'll do circus, you know. Oh, yeah. We'll do side shows. So we'll do that eventually. So I was like, yeah. And if you
0: don't know, the 1991 Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken is the greatest movie ever made. It's a classic. It's fantastic. Yes. About a year later, he took a job teaching people to ride bikes at another shop. At this shop, he met Louis D. Birdie Munger, who owned a racing cycle factory. Okay. He hired the newly minted Major Taylor to recruit high school and college kids to race with Munger's bicycles. Munger, quote, made up his mind to make Taylor a champion and coach the young man in racing. All right. This being the 1890s in America, Major encountered more than his fair share of racist horse shit. Many tracks banned him from competing out of fear that white cyclists wouldn't participate. Oh, no <laughs> comment. In 1893, after breaking an amateur record at one track, he was verbally assaulted and banned from the track. Of
1: course he was. Of course. Yeah
0: foreshadowing for the dearly beloved jesse owens in 1895 major taylor won a major victory no pun intended i did not realize that (laughs) when i wrote it you know you did (laughs) (laughs) when he was the only cyclist to complete a 75 mile road race jesus christ (laughs) i cannot even Mm -mm. I I
1: can't even fathom that. Oh, my God. I know what
0: shape roads are in now in 2022. 1895 roads. No. Bicycling on those. No. No. For 75 miles, absolutely
1: No. His boy parts had to be, (laughs) oh, my
0: God. Just his poor testicles. Jeez Louise. (laughs) (laughs) A road race in which the white cyclist didn't know he was competing. Of course And they hurled abuse and insults throughout. Puke. but guess who won motherfuckers ah yes just a few days later literally like five days later he won a 10 mile race again absolutely fucking not yeah making him eligible to compete at the national championships for black racers 85 miles in less than a week makes me want to die yep. but good for him Major Taylor moved with Munger to Worcester, and I'm not pronouncing that right, mass holes, so don't come for me. <laughs> I don't care. I want to see you pronounce Goshe and then we'll talk.
2: Yeah, exactly. Where Munger- so uh-huh. yeah.
0: Where Munger had built a new factory. So Munger was building bikes this whole time. He would race for many other teams during his amateur and professional career. So eventually Munger's factory would get like repossessed, more or less, um, and so when that happened, um, major Taylor would ride like comic bikes and different bikes for like different groups. So he got around, um, in 1897, he'd appeared in a photo with a Boston racing team, making it the first known photo of an integrated sports team.
2: Hmm. That's cool.
0: Newspapers yeah. began referring to him as the Worcester whirlwind, the black cyclone, And the ebony flyer. There are some other names that included like colored and I was not going to repeat those, but just know that those existed. Oh yeah. So, but we'll go with those three. I like the Worcester Whirlwind. I'm a big fan of that one. One of his fans was president Theodore Roosevelt who kept track of. Absolutely. (laughs) Who kept track of Taylor throughout his 17 year racing career. This is a pro Teddy Roosevelt podcast. Yes. (laughs) At the 1899 world championships in Montreal, Taylor won the one mile sprint to become the first African-American to win a world championship in cycling. Taylor was the second black athlete after Canadian bantamweight boxer, George Dixon to win a world championship in any sport. Hmm. Taylor married Daisy, Victoria Morris in Ansonia, Connecticut on March 21st, 1902 Taylor had met her around 1900 when she was living with her aunt and uncle in Worcester. While in Australia in 1904, Taylor and his wife had their only child, a daughter they named Rita Sydney, in honor of Sydney, where she was born on <gasps> May 11th, the day we're what? recording. Happy birthday, <laughs> happy birthday, yeah. Rita Sydney Taylor. When Taylor, his wife, and daughter were not traveling, they lived in a large home on Hobson Avenue in Worcester. Unfortunately, they would divorce in 1930. Taylor's daughter, who graduated from the Sargent School of Physical Culture in Boston, I don't know what that is, Mm -hmm. and the University of Chicago in 1936, taught physical education at Virginia State University. She died in 2005 at the age of 101. Wow. Good for her. Good for you, Rita Sidney Taylor. Heck yeah. Rock on, mama. Taylor was still breaking records in 1908, but his age was starting to creep up on him again. Please note he was 30. He retired yeah. from racing in 1910 at the age of 32.
1: <laughs> Just a
0: baby. I know yeah. that was back when they were when they talk like in football, like older quarterbacks and they're like 36 and you're like, yeah. you know what? Go fuck yourself. <laughs> when Taylor returned to his home, At Worcester, Oh, I don't know why I wrote that. Taylor won his final competition in old timers race. Oh, my God. (laughs) So mad. In New Jersey in September of 1917. He would have been
2: 39.
0: Fuckers. Just turned 39. I got (laughs) you. I know. I got your old timers right here.
2: Exactly. Granted,
0: if I've been bicycling since I was 13, it might be a little different. Yeah i've
2: been clogging since i was 10 bring it <laughs> have you clogged for 75 miles though oh it felt like it in some of those christmas <laughs> parades okay some of those were really rough and i did clog once in a in a heat advisory anyway go ahead <laughs> i don't recommend that no it
0: lives dangerously yeah Nearly 20 years after his retirement, Taylor wrote and self-published his autobiography, The Fastest Bicycle Rider in the World, the Story of a Colored Boy's Indomitable Courage and Success Against the Odds and Autobiography. Sir, that's a long title. Um, <laughs> woo, editors, according to his book, Taylor was upbeat about his retirement. I felt I had my day and a wonderful day it was, too. Good for him. Taylor also claimed he had no regrets and no animosity toward any man, but his autobiography included hints of bitterness in regard to his treatment as a, as a competitor. I always played the game fairly and tried my hardest. Although I was not always given a square deal or anything like it. And I do not doubt that for one iota of Mm -hmm. a second.
2: It's probably an understatement.
0: Yeah. He's probably been very gracious there. Yeah. By 1930, Taylor had suffered severe financial difficulties from bad investments. That whole stock market crash really got him and businesses that proved unsuccessful. Taylor's home in Worcester and some families and some of the family's personal property were sold to pay off debts. He also suffered from persistent ill health in his later years. Little is known of Taylor's life after the failure of his marriage and his move to Chicago around 1930. Taylor spent his final two years of his life in poverty, selling copies oh. of his autobiography to earn a meager income mm. and residing at the YMCA in Chicago's Bronzeville neighborhood. Man, no. he didn't deserve that. Yeah, mm-hmm. bless him. In March of 1932, Taylor suffered a heart attack and was hospitalized in the Provident Hospital after an unsuccessful heart operation, which I do not want to think about heart surgery in the 1930s. <laughs> no. So, He was moved to Cook County Hospital's charity ward, where he died on June 21st at the age of 53. Man. Oh, man. His wife and daughter who survived him did not immediately learn of his death, and so no one claimed his remains. So this wasn't back in the day where you had next of kin, and they could look it up. I hate that. Yeah. He just, they didn't know to whom he belonged. Right. right. He was initially buried at Mount Glenwood Cemetery in an unmarked pauper's grave.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: It's near Chicago. It's not quite in Chicago, but it's near it. In 1948, a group of professional bicycle racers used funds donated by Frank W. Schwinn, owner of the Schwinn Bicycle Company. Very nice. Who um, is buried at Rose Hill Cemetery. Um, Schwinn bicycles are a Chicago original. You're welcome. I didn't know that. (laughs) To That's organize awesome. the exhumation and reburial of Taylor's remains in a more prominent location at the cemetery. Um, now, I could not find this anywhere, but um, what gave me the idea for the story was we there is um, organized bicycle groups throughout the country called Major Taylor bicyclists. And they are primarily African-American bicyclists who kind of use the legacy of Major Taylor to, you know, promote cycling in African-American communities. And so during a talk with one of the groups um, through work, um, through my day job that pays the bills, keeps this fine podcast running, Um, (laughs) all of us do, Um, they talked about how when they went to go bury him at that point this part of the city was kind of a sundown town almost so they could bring his body in bury him but they had to immediately get back on the train and Mm -hmm. get the hell out of town um the plaque at the grave reads: "World champion bicycle racer who came up the hard way, without hatred in his heart, an honest, courageous, and God-fearing, clean-living, gentlemanly athlete, a credit to his race, who always gave out his best. Gone, but not forgotten." Oh no! Taylor's birthplace in Indiana also has the Major Taylor Velodrome <laughs> in his honor. What's his- that? I have let's Google it because, you know, I didn't it's a velodrome. Like to look up what the fuck a velodrome was. It sounds cool. I hope yeah. It sounds
1: yeah. Cool. Oh,
0: apparently there's a couple here in Chicago. I need to check them out. OK. Is an arena for track cycling.
1: OK, so, that makes sense. So it's like an <laughs> it's on brand bicycle yeah. rink.
0: But yeah, there's the major t- which it sounds really cool, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Velodrome in his honor. His uh, gravestone is is quite beautiful. So there's a be that um, there's going to be his family portrait is just oh, so Edwardian period. I yeah, nice. love it. She's in this great striped dress with the high collar and the buttons. Oh, I, I die. It's wonderful. So, yeah, it's amazing. So, you know, again, cycling is pretty white. Is yep. pretty white.
2: <laughs> yeah
0: um but there is you know a really active you know i was interviewing a group in memphis today um uh, memphis not a necessarily bicycle friendly city <laughs> no <laughs> but they're doing their best i know a um, lot of
2: people who do though
0: i know i know and so you know um Especially, you know, trying to get African-American communities more involved in these sports um, that, you know, have been pretty exclusive for a long time. And so shout outs, Major Taylor, who is awesome and who, as soon as, you know, I learned that we were working or trying to work with this bicycle group, I looked up who it was. And I was like, I told the girls, I was like, we're doing athletes because I'm doing the story. (laughs) Yes. So Very that cool. is Major Taylor. Yeah. Good I like that. that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there was no murder. No murder. There was no, may- no mayhem.
0: Mutilation. Yeah. That's okay, I y'all. I have done wholesome stories twice in a row now. I think Sheena's going to cover that oh, for God. us. I Based... have murder
2: in my second story.
0: Right. Um,
2: but not in this first one. This first one, um, I'm going to give a shout out to friend of the podcast, friend of all of us, Chrissy Bland. Yay! Uh, she I was driving her through Elmwood in Memphis a couple of weeks ago, and she tossed out this um, idea, and I was like, I forgot about that guy. He would be perfect. So, this kind of reminds me of Lori's story in that we're talking about someone who is exceptionally large. (laughs) So, picture it. Pontotoc, mississippi my hometown oh, oh wow oh yeah just just y'all <laughs> wait hold on we getting in the woods now yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm keeping y'all in the woods too for a lot of this uh for this story and kind of the next one too um anyway november 1927 a little bitty baby boy was born <laughs> who would go on to become an actor a wrestler and an evangelist all while being the quote mississippi giant and sometimes considered the world's tallest man. Okay, or third tallest, if you want to believe his obit. Um, uh, <laughs> like, I would definitely have that in my obit. <laughs> I, I read a lot of different things that said he was the world's tallest, the second, of worst, the second tallest, the third tallest. I like tallest. that like, he
0: humble bragged in his obit, though.
2: Well, it wasn't in his obit. It was like in the news stories about oh, him. Okay, so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Max Edmund Palmer was born in the Randolph community of Pontotoc, which is sort of um south ish of Pontotoc on November second nineteen twenty seven um i I read a couple of different things, but most every news story pretty well said he was normal for his height until he was the age he reached the age of 14 that he'll do it yeah. <laughs> And eventually his height would be listed as anywhere from seven feet, seven inches tall to eight feet, two inches tall. Jesus. Um, I did the centimeters because we don't have listeners who are just in America. We have listeners everywhere, which is wild. And Mm -hmm. that's either 231.14 centimeters or 248.92 centimeters. That's also like two meters and some centimeters look at my boo doing math oh no that was the internet <laughs> um and it's probably wrong I, the I internet's really did
1: the math for her
2: heck yeah the internet's always do my math for me i'm not about to attempt that stuff um. Anyway, his weight was listed depending on what source you used, anywhere from as a full-grown adult man anywhere from 430 to 500 pounds. Jesus. <laughs> so, um, to give y'all an idea too of his height, before we get into sort of how he got into sports. Um, an article from 1953, um, which was published when he was 26, read, he wears a size 10 hat, size 64 suit, size 20 shoe on the right foot, size 21 on the, on his left. He has a 22-inch neck, 50-inch chest, 49-inch waist, and 19-inch hands. Well, hey, that makes me feel hey. better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, it was also noted, too, I mean, of course, when you are a person of this size you have to have specially made clothes and it was noted in 1970 that um, a pair of his custom-made shoes cost 165 a pair which is more than 1200 today and Christ. his custom-made suits suits uh cost at least 200 dollars and again that would be about 1500 in today's money
1: man just run around naked man i know right? i was like yeah
2: you just gotta have a job to clothe yourself bring for sure, back
1: the but- naked ghosts
2: Yeah, (laughs) so anyway, Max and his family, uh, his parents, and then he had three sisters, all of whom, from what I can tell, were listed as being, quote, normal size, (laughs) uh, moved to the Walnut community, which is just outside of Clarksdale, Mississippi, and that's in the Delta and when he was in high school he joined the Walnut high school basketball team and a local man, um, recalled in a newspaper story, uh, they would throw the ball to max and he put it in. He could make 50 points just by standing under the goal. <laughs> so, um, this being the Delta, is he white? He's or? white. Yeah. Okay. Um, so naturally, uh, national teams, uh, you know were interested in him they wanted to go ahead and sign him and he was also um offered a contract with the boston celtics that would have paid him four million over 10 years man jesus i mean that's four million over 10 years you think about what basketball players make today but max said i just couldn't see having my life signed away for that little amount of money all right max okay I i mean and this was basketball
1: right yeah I mean, he was fucking huge. I mean, how can somebody that big run fast enough to play basketball? I would think that he would eventually. Yeah, like I did joints. read
2: something. Yeah. Something yeah. later was said, like, he really wasn't that good of a player. It's just he was so tall that yeah. you just literally. And there, there is a picture of him just putting a ball in the net. I mean, he's yeah. just right there. So it, I'm not trying to knock his his basketball abilities, but I think he was just wanted for mm. that. Just for the yeah. alone. Um, But he wanted to be an actor. So after graduation, <laughs> he hitchhiked to Hollywood. Oh, he did. Yes. Okay. He did. Yeah, he did. Um, <laughs> which please don't hitchhike, ladies and gentlemen. And, and you friends will die. Beyond the binary. Yes. Um, he was you 18. You can only do
0: that if you're a seven foot tall white man.
2: Basically. Um, he was just 18. And around this time too, he was starting to develop a bad drinking habit. Oh boy. Which is never good no he he did land a couple of acting jobs, but as you can imagine, most of them were monster roles, and they were uncredited in b movies. imagine uh, He starred as the ape in killer ape um, <laughs> okay. Invaders from Mars and the sniper Hell yeah. um, the and, and in a nineteen fifty three article he did complain a little bit that the studios never wanted him to leave the house because they wanted people to pay to see him on the big screen. So they were sort of being like, hey, stay in your house. Don't go anywhere. And I'm like, that's not fair either. Yeah. Um, but one of the studio PR departments proudly noted that it took six bear skins to cover him for killer ape. <laughs> So, well, there's there you quite go. the brag. Yeah, quite the brag. I was like, okay, proudly. Okay. Um, but in Hollywood, according to Max, he fell in with the wrong crowd and added some drugs to his alcohol, mm. which is never How good. Is. Um, and he later said that the drugs and alcohol. Uh, He was just wasted all the time, and that wiped out his opportunity to make five more movies. The studio didn't want him anymore because he was a mess. Yeah. Um, So he was kicked out of Hollywood. So then he moves to Salt Lake City, Utah, where he becomes a professional wrestler. Because that's where you go to become a professional wrestler. (laughs) Yes, it is, clearly. His wrestling name was Paul Bunyan. Of course. And he wrestled six nights a week for seven years. Oh, man. Um, but his addictions ruined that career too. Um, plus there were some promoters who like wanted him to throw fights, you know, for all the gambling and he didn't want to do that. And so either way, he eventually quits wrestling or was kicked out. I was never really sure. Um, and then he moved down to Oklahoma. Of course. Uh, I will say the, the, the athletic, um, part of the story is a little tenuous, but, I just thought he was fascinating anyway. (laughs) um, So next he became a bartender um, and bouncer in Oklahoma, which is a terrible job for an alcoholic. The bouncer
0: is okay. Bartender, not so much. Not so
2: good. So one night it all finally catches up with him and he was rushed to a local hospital with severe ulcers and a Baptist preacher visited him in the hospital and talked to him about where he was going, what he was doing. And the night that he was released from that hospital, that same preacher put him up in a hotel room for a week and Max naturally was really scared he was sort of at this crossroads of his life and didn't know what to do with himself you know he's just sort of had this second chance given to him where he can straighten up and do right, so he does and he um, becomes very religious. Um, he took on a job at the big giant supermarket, um, a grocery store where he would hand out candy to children. Oh, but then he decided to become an evangelist and he oh, started touring the country preaching the gospel. His business card listed him as the Goliath for Christ. Okay. So <laughs> you know he know spent he if spent- it makes him happy and it keeps him off the sauce. Fine. Exactly. And it did. He spent a lot of his time specifically trying to reach out and help um, addicts, people who had drug problems or or problems with um, alcohol. Um, It was really important to him to reach out to those people because he knew he could, you know, he knew what this what the struggle was like. While preaching in Illinois, he met a lady named Betty, and they fell in love, and they were married seven months later. As Betty put it. There was, quote, a 22-year age difference, a three-foot height difference, and a 350-pound weight difference. You <laughs> uh, know what, Betty? She, good for you. Good for you. She was in her 20s. He was in his 40s. She Ooh. was 4'11". Oh! <laughs> and I've got a picture of the two of them together. It's kind of precious. Oof, the Um... Max and Betty settled in Missouri, and the couple remained married until Max's death in 1984. Oh, well, good for them. Depending on what newspaper account, they either had two or three kids. I literally. it. it How? Oh, <laughs> she they was end. on top. Had to have been. <laughs> <a laughs> of poor- course thing but one of their kids was not baseball hall of famer jim palmer when you research max palmer it will tell you that jim palmer who is in the baseball hall of fame played with the baltimore orioles i don't know Orioles, what yes. whatever i don't care it's a bird boo i don't care <laughs> um <laughs> it's a it's also a team and i don't really care about teams either um they mentioned that jim was adopted by max and betty and yes, Jim Palmer was adopted by a Max Palmer who was an actor, but not this same Max Palmer. <laughs>
1: Lord, what it's are the very odds? confusing.
2: It's very confusing. Um, anyway, Max Palmer died on May 7th, 1984 at 56. Oh, not that yeah, long ago. Yeah, just not that long ago. I was at his grave on that date, actually. Oh, damn. Doing research, yeah. Uh, or no, I was there on the 8th. Either way, either way. Um, yeah. Um, he died in Missouri where he was living, um, of congestive heart failure and liver failure, or I'm sorry, kidney failure. Um, his health had been in decline, um, as he was in his fifties. Like I said, he was 56 when he died. People Um, that tall have like really
0: bad health problems. His
2: knees had bad arthritis. Um, he had had surgery on them. He walked with a cane, but he still had some issues getting around. So yeah, it was I'm sure he had thrombosis and all sorts of other stuff. I'm not really sure, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure his height had something to do with that. Um, but at his death, his height was listed as eight foot, two inches tall. Christ. He required a nine foot casket. Oy. And so his, um, it took a minute to bury him cause they had to basically bust out a backhoe, make, yeah. find or make a casket to fit him. And he is buried at Cary Springs Cemetery in the Randolph community of Pontotoc, um, which is also where Chrissy has some family. So again, shout out to Chrissy. Hey um, Chrissy! There are a lot of Palmers buried out there. I think his mother was also a Whitworth and there were a ton of Whitworths out there. Um, and I I don't know if Betty is still alive or if she's past him. Mean, she was only born in, I think, 1950, so she could very easily oh, still be yeah. alive. Oh, yeah. Um, but I could not find anything on her past, basically, her wedding to to Max. Um, and he has, if you go to the cemetery, you would have no idea that literally a giant is buried um, there. Because he just has a very se- simple, plain white marker, and it lists his name and his dates. So, yeah. shout out to Max Palmer, who is a wrestler, an actor, an evangelist, and the Mississippi Giants. I Man. love
1: it. Yeah. Good for him.
2: Good for him. I mean,
1: and it, it just makes you think of all the stories you don't know when you walk past graves that are so simple and just have such basic
2: information. I would She's never give it second think. chance. I would never have at it.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. And that's why we do this
2: podcast. Yes.
1: Yep. Yes.
2: All right, Lou. All
1: right. So now, as I mentioned earlier, we're sticking to the theme of horse racing. But instead of the equine athlete, I'm going to be talking about a jockey, Mr. Isaac Burns Murphy. Although his exact date of birth is not known, he's believed to be born somewhere around January 1st, 1861 in Kentucky. He was the son of two slaves Ooh. and his mother also had a badass name. She was America Murphy. Good oh, wow. Her. I like that name. Yes. America Escaped slavery and became a refugee at Camp Nelson in 1864. Fuck yeah, America. And his father was Jerry Burns. Jerry had been born into slavery and was a captive because I refuse to say owned. Very good. Of C.C. Skillman, who was a member of a Confederate group of guerrilla raiders. Fuck Uh, them. Yeah, luckily he was captured by Union troops and was a prisoner of war. So, you know, Uh that's all we really need to know about him. So back to Jerry, somehow he managed to enlist in the Union Army in Lexington on June 24th, 1864, under the name Jerry Skillman. However, it's unknown how he was able to do so, as slaves were required to have their captors' permission in order to serve during the war. Interesting. Um, so he served, but unfortunately he became ill with what was then known as camp fever and died at Camp Nelson in July of 1865. So, side note, Camp Fever is the name that was given to what is now known as Typhoid Fever, which Mm. was rampant during the Civil War, as people made a habit of drinking severely contaminated water.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, everything in the Civil War was just gruesome and awful. Yes. Yes. Understatement of the year. Jerry was
1: buried. He Was buried with military honors at Camp Nelson National Cemetery in Nicholasville, Kentucky. Um, Yay, good for him. Unfortunately, Isaac was very young and left without a father. So in 1867, his mother moved in with horse trainer Eli Jordan, who was a close family friend. And he became a father figured to isaac kind of taking him under his wing and actually having him work as an exercise rider for the the stable that eli trained for um he started isaac started this at age 14 he was 95 pounds
0: yep. uh
1: that's like my left butt cheek is 95 pounds <laughs> right <laughs> Jesus. Um, so in 1875, he was given the opportunity to be a replacement jockey uh, at Churchill Downs. He finished his race dead last. Oh. This would not be a reflection of his future in the business. No, Isaac Burns Murphy would go on to become one of the highest paid athletes and most famous Black men of the era. Heck yeah. After, and he was really good looking. We'll have to pull up a picture major taylor was hot too like very very nice looking man very dapper looking uh, so after one of his early victories in 1879 the then 18 year old jockey was praised by the spirit of America, the spirit of america spirit of the times which was a sports weekly published in new york as being quote one of the best jockeys in America. He is very observant during the progress of a race, keeps a sharp lookout for danger, is quick to perceive the weak points of an adversary and prompt to take advantage of them. He has a steady hand, a quick eye, a cool head and a bold heart heck yeah i, I love think that. they
0: had a crush and he was <laughs>
1: yeah. he, he was very well known to be very gentle with his horses like he did Aww. not whip he did not spur he believed in being gentle and talking to them and urging them that way um which is not common uh right. in 1890 he went up against the most famous white jockey of the time edward garrison in a match race between Garrison and his mount, a horse named Tenny, and Isaac and the horse Salvatore, they were neck and neck throughout the whole duration of the race, but Isaac came out on top. And this race was the first recorded instance of a photo finish being documented as determining the race winner. Oh, cool. So, awesome. Yeah. In 1891, he won his third Kentucky Derby aboard Kingman, uh, the first and only Kentucky Derby winner to be owned by a Black man.
2: Oh, wow. Well, yeah. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. 1890s too. Who knew? Yeah. There's uh, a lot of
0: shit going on in the 1890s. Right. <laughs>
1: his, his record for winning the most derbies held for 60 years before he was surpassed by Eddie Acaro, who still holds the record of most derby wins at five, but 60 years is none to shake a stick at, man. Hell yeah. No. It's pretty impressive. According to his biography featured on the National Museum of Racing and a Hall of Fame's website, quote, Murphy's abilities earned him the best mounts of his era, and he was extremely selective of the horses he rode, which aided his superb victory percentage. Murphy also did not approve of jockey's betting and never did so himself. He was confident, handsome, intelligent, physically talented, and the highest paid athlete in the country. Although he was a superstar, Murphy remained humble and was a quiet soul, end quote. Aww. So just a good guy all around.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and allegedly, as I'm sure is the case with him and was the case with uh, Max Sheena, he was approached several times over the course of his career from people wanting to fix races. Um, he remained honest. He refused every bribe people tried to give him. And then in 1890 came the Monmouth Handicap. This was August, so still in the height of his career. I mean, he didn't win his third Derby until 1891, but something was off. He fell from his horse, Firenze, after finishing the race in last place, and he was just off. He was wobbly. He appeared to be drunk and many racegoers and reporters speculated that he was intoxicated. He was known to sip a little champagne before races mm-hmm. and he was suspended uh, from oh, racing wow. pending an investigation. He did eventually get the chance to ride again. So obviously he was not drunk, um, but those rumors and speculation of his drinking would follow him for the rest of his life. Isaac himself insisted that he must have been poisoned and he denied these accusations. He would never ride a horse drunk. He
2: mm-hmm. had a
1: long standing reputation as a jockey who was clean, didn't take any weird drugs or any substances. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, right before the race, bettors placed bets against Forenzi, which was Isaac's horse, who was predicted to win the race. And one of those people was Dave Johnson who had lost $25,000, which is more than $750,000 in today's money betting against Isaac in an earlier race in 1890. Oh yeah. I think foul play was afoot. I yes. agree. a foot. Co- I, I wrote coincidence. I think not. Yeah. Um, after his third Derby victory in 1891, he began racing less and less before retiring to become a trainer in 1895. Unfortunately, this career was short lived. He died of pneumonia on February 12, 1896 oh, at the man. age of 35. Damn. Oh there's some youngins in this one. So this is where I'll do another side note. It is unbelievable what jockeys throughout history, put their bodies through in order to keep a low weight. Um, yeah. I highly, highly recommend if you have in- any interest in the history of racing at all to read Laura Hillenbrand's book, book, Biscuit. It's not just about the horse. It's mm-hmm. just about what jockeys endured all those years. They oh, would wow. sit in saunas for hours and hours until they passed out. They would oh, man. eat tape. They would swallow tapeworms right? Ugh. and just let it do its, decimate, thing. Do its thing and then go yeah. to the hospital once they right. had made weight. Um, so the damage done because of the crash diets and the weird workout regimens leads yeah. to a weaker immune system which is probably what led to Isaac developing pneumonia and dying at well such and right. organ
0: damage and oh he's, yeah that's Karen Carpenter famously had mm-hmm. anorexia and then as she had begun to put weight back on she had a heart attack because during the anorexia her heart had been eaten away
1: mm-hmm. yep yeah his funeral had more than five hundred guests, and he was interred at African Cemetery number no. two. However, the cemetery was eventually abandoned and it wasn't until the nineteen sixties that Frank Boris Jr, who is a press specialist at the University of Kent, Kentucky found his grave. He spent years looking for this man's grave. Um, and I read he was reinterred somewhere else briefly, but he was reburied at the gates of the Kentucky horse park alongside the legendary racehorse man of war. Okay, Um, he has a large, beautiful headstone surrounded by gorgeous flowers and his headstone includes a quote that says, quote, I am as proud of my calling as I am of my record. And I believe my life will be recorded a success, though the reputation I enjoy was earned in the stable and in the saddle. So millions of people pass his resting place. And had it not been for Frank
2: Boris Jr., he would still be lost to history. So yeah and think about all those other folks who are still lost yeah absolutely find them and and Mm -hmm. give them some respect too right
0: how dangerous is it to drunk drive on a horse
1: i would think it is super super (laughs) super dangerous especially when it's a racehorse right you got you don't have any control over that animal you're lucky make it out alive yeah and so he would have he would have never stooped to that level um and, That's what I was thinking yeah. is because, like, I
0: see them and I'm like, effing terrified. Because,
1: yeah, I mean, I, I would never, you could not pay me enough, not that I'm small enough to ride a racehorse, yeah, no. but you could not pay me enough money to get on a racehorse ever in a million years.
2: <laughs> so, all right, Sheena, job, let's Blue wrap Hood. it up. Who you got? All right, us? we got some murder. Yes. Is yes. um, it on
1: a positive?
2: Yeah. So um yeah, so this is again, um it this guy's was much more active as a um athlete, but I didn't include a lot of information about that because well, it's no. just um it's, it's, it's a little, we'll get to it.
1: Yeah. Let's get to the murder.
2: Picture it. December 1924 in Memphis, Tennessee. Of course
1: (laughs) (laughs) we are just on cue tonight. I think it's like the fifth time we've mixed each other.
2: Me and Lori owe each other mini Cokes. Yes. Yes. Uh, Monroe Randolph-Stark known as Dolly Stark was shot to death. At his inn by a friend, one of his best friends. Uh, According to Sina, newspapers of the day, on you. I ain't got no gun. I ain't using a okay. gun. <laughs> According to newspapers of the day, Dolly enjoyed, quote, probably the most colorful baseball career of any player ever produced by the local Sandlots. Damn. Okay. So let's talk about Dolly Stark.
0: First of I all, I pass a burger place on the way home every day called the Sandlot. Okay. Oh, on. cool.
2: <laughs> i read the word sandlot a lot and i'm like this is the first time i've thought of the word sandlot since that minute. i need to watch the movie <laughs> i know i do too like it's been forever um i will go ahead and just say this to get it out of the way because i'm going to call him dolly for the rest of the story that's just how everyone referred yeah. to him early in his baseball career he was nicknamed dolly due to his blonde hair and his uh little red cheeks oh how so he looked like a little doll yeah but uh he was uh I think maybe a jerk. We'll get to that. <laughs> oh, so he dear. was born January nineteenth, eighteen eighty-five, in Ripley, Mississippi. Oh, geez. A place we have talked about before. on Great this, days. Uh, oh, yeah, Lord. it is. It's not far from Memphis. Um, and I, it was so hard to find out sort of about his early life, um, but he did begin playing baseball as a catcher. Um, he eventually became a shortstop, and he kind of played. A lot of newspapers said he played from coast to coast. Um, I did find information that he coached or was like the team manager at Mississippi State, which was then the Mississippi A&M Aggies in 1909. Aggies? Really? Originally, yes. Okay. Now they're the Bulldogs, which... (laughs) We won't talk about... Um, I'm going to be nice about it. Anyway, howdy, toddy. Anyway, that fall, <laughs> he made his major league debut for the Cleveland Naps. Now, y'all, I was hoping and praying that this team was named after actual naps because mm-hmm. napping is my favorite pastime. Absolutely. <laughs> However, they were actually named for the team captain, Napoleon Knapp, Lajoy, I don't know how you say that last name and I kind of don't care. We're not talking about it. Yeah. Him. Anyway, of course, now the team is the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, And then he went on to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers for three seasons. Now, he played in a number of major and minor league teams for about 20 years. He was also the team manager for the Memphis Chicks, which I meant to look up and see if that was major or minor. of course, now we have the Memphis Redbirds. Um, I think they were a minor league team. I think think so. The Redbirds replaced them. Yeah. Um. And and this is why I'm not going to go into super detail about his career. According to a newspaper account that literally ran later that day after his passing, um, Stark was of a fiery temperament, and his aggressiveness on the ball field in his early days was carried to an extreme. Oh, Had it dear. not been for his high-strung nerves, it is the opi- it is the opinion that he would have been a star for many years in the majors. It looks to me when you look at his career, he's bouncing from team to team to team. I think that's just we we see that in people who are difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, here's the
0: thing with me in baseball,
1: it's if the I, most boring I, sport ever. Sorry, that, that
0: no, that's that golf. As well, well that I too. don't know. I, I hate I golf. Been, as far as team game. sports go, because and this is my raising coming out is. They, when they have fights, rare as it is, I'm like, You, why do you throw away the bat? Take the <laughs> bat with you. It that's should be dangerous. more violent than it is. I'm like, Why, why, why are you throwing out the bat? No, take. And then a friend was like, Because, honey, that's assault. Yep. Not a fight. And I was like, yep. Oh, well, we're not from the same tax
2: bracket, clearly. <laughs> um So, yeah. I'm trailer
0: I, I- trash. I apologize. <laughs>
2: i get the impression it it just there was something i read that made me think he was a difficult guy yeah
0: he was probably an asshole and they were trying to be nice about it
2: yeah Ty cobb Um, Mm 2.0 yeah so i i this is literally a direct quote from some story i don't know what any of this means i'm just gonna say it maybe you sports ball people will enjoy it during his career he hit for a point Two, three, eight batting average, scoring ninety runs and knocked in thirty RBI that might I as well no have no idea brief. what that means. Zs. so <laughs> let's talk about what happened in the summer of nineteen twenty four Dolly was playing baseball in Arkansas when he was hit in the head with a batted ball <laughs> That'll and do it It didn't cause a major major injury, but he was like, "I'm done.
0: Peace out. I too have been hit by, in the head by a ball in Arkansas. <laughs>
2: What, have, what so much in common?
0: <laughs> I had a lot of head injuries as a kid. Leave me alone.
2: <laughs> yeah, we're looking at you. Speaking of <laughs> murderers like If I were
0: gonna be a murderer, I'd have done it by now, I promise.
2: True. Um, but your best years are yet to come anyway <laughs> i've
0: still got time
2: <laughs> so at some point he had purchased and opened an inn in memphis on summer avenue called the cherokee inn and they were saying that this was like in the suburbs and i'm like just summer avenue. <laughs> not the suburbs anymore no. anyway was it, um, a it was hotel motel no i think it was just a. it was like a legit i think that's i mean no one really said Wait. um but he he they they like they, they like their booze there okay. um it was a hotel and a bar. He also, he had his friends there for parties and he and his wife, who I could never find her first name. Just, she was always Mrs. Stark. Um, they had only been married for three months when tragedy struck. Oh dear. So in the early morning hours of December 1st, this is literally like stuff beginning on late Sunday night, going into Monday morning. Cause if Ooh, you're going to yep. let's party at 1230 on a Monday morning um dolly his wife and his friends were drinking and carrying on at the inn. and his friend harry atkinson one of his closest friends was there and they um according to dolly's widow both um harry and dolly had been drinking very very heavily imagine imagine there was also a sheriff's deputy there partying too and i can't tell that he really did much to help (laughs) or hurt the situation but just know there is supposedly someone of some type of authority authority not much of it. Anyway, Dolly's widow said that Dolly and Harry started to argue. Uh, Dolly told Harry to go upstairs and sleep it off. Harry didn't want to go. And they argued, but finally Harry went upstairs and Darry- Dolly followed him. Uh, Dolly came back down a couple minutes later, but then Harry followed him and they get into an argument and Harry yells out, what's the matter with Dolly? Is he crazy? He's been bawling me out. Ooh. but then they fight again um harry claimed that dolly used a fire poker to hit him Yeah, and apparently <laughs> dolly staircase punched, this is oh this is so messy then dolly apparently punched harry in the nose because harry had a broken nose that was bleeding profusely oh dear and dolly had an injury on his hand from the punch so it, so it this was just arming. a melee it's it's crazy but then Harry pulled out one of Dolly's own guns, which he oh. had swiped from upstairs. And he talked about how little and dainty it was. Basically, it was Mrs. Stark's gun that she kind of used for protection. And he had seen it upstairs and he swiped it. So he whips out the gun and shot Stark right in the heart. Oy! The newspaper report said shot through the heart. The bullet is clean and straight as marksman could have sent it. Trick of dr- of drunken fate. And then. The dying man, with a lurch of his old vitality, wrestled the gun away from his friend's hand, and they fell to the floor together. A few gasps, and Dolly was gone.
0: This is very homoerotic.
2: <laughs> I also <thought> do. <laughs> um, everyone in the club witnessed this, including Dolly's wife. Um, and the police, the sheriff's deputy, had tried, it, it got the poker away from harry when they were first fighting um but then he went and called for help and then he did uh catch up with harry who had ran outside and was sitting in his car he didn't even try to drive off wow um dolly stark was just 39 when he was jesus and harry claimed self-defense in march 1925 harry atkinson pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter and was sentenced to one to five years in the state penitentiary the fuck man uh so I don't know what happened to Harry after that. I could not find him. I didn't have a lot of time to find him because I literally decided to write the second story at about five o'clock today. (laughs) um, But I did my due diligence. I tried, I tried. But um, Dolly was the brother of Alexander Stark, who was the superintendent of my favorite cemetery in the whole world, Elmwood Cemetery in Memphis. So that's where he's buried. Uh, He is there with his parents and a couple of siblings. He is in the very front part of the cemetery. I would say you can't miss it, but I mean, it is a a flat marker that he has anyway. Um, And it, it, like Max's stone, it is very simple. It just says Dolly in quotes, M.R. Stark, 1885
1: to 1924.
2: Wow. And that is the murder of Major League Baseball star Dolly Stark. When you Google this, if you Google Dolly Stark, you will also come up with a Dolly Stark who is an umpire. Totally different (sighs) dude. God. How is this? What is it with you and your name? Alternate dimension. It was really hard to Google some of this because there were two Dolly Starks in baseball. And I was like, wait, <laughs> is this my shortstop or is this the umpire? Like, I need the shortstop. Anyway, so yeah. And please, this, no, um,
1: none of us know what the hell is shortstop I don't is. know. I have I, no clue. I don't know. I don't care. I was once at a Redbirds game that did not end, and I thought I was in the seventh level of hell. It was Let me a tell you nightmare. what. No.
2: no, let me tell you. <laughs> I used to get free tickets to the Redbirds. A, a previous employer used to give us free tickets, and I weirdly, I don't care for baseball at all I love going to a game it is so relaxing you get all the food you want like just go get yourself a
0: drink and look at butts yes and
2: our seats were right behind where the guy hits the ball ball. so you (laughs) saw butts all night and then you got to have like some it was fried apple pie on a stick I was thrilled with that. Like butts and fried apple pie, pie on a stick. I was I was a happy girl. We're so I will lemon. go
1: I will go see the Memphis nine
2: oh one football club because Oh uh <laughs> uh-uh. nope. I went to one game. I went to their pride night last year and I was like, I don't understand the thing going on. And I couldn't stand it. You just got to look at the Soccer, Man, it is my favorite sport to
1: watch. I I love soccer. This goes to tell you
2: how terrible me and Spencer are at sports. We used to also get free tickets to the Grizzlies, which go Grizz. And I remember I made Spencer go with me once and he literally leaned over right before the game started and was like. What's the point of basketball? And, like, how do you play? And which I love basketball. I can watch that on TV or not on TV. It's the only sport I, I kind of care about. And even then, mm-hmm. I don't care that much about it. Baseball, don't care anything about <laughs> but I will go to a game. But we went to soccer and literally were like, we don't understand a word of this. We were so bored. So I just, oh, oh, my the only good thighs. stuff is the pride stuff. It's the best. Fine. It's the best sport for, for thighs. thighs. I agree with that. We did see some good thighs. But yeah, we were mostly just like, I mean, it was pride night. So Spencer the whole time was like, look at all the gays. Also one a of them, former babe.
0: sports writer. Hi mash. Um, he doesn't listen to this, but, um, <laughs> he was grizzled old sports guy who I adore <laughs> to this day. Um, he called soccer communist kickball. Oh my God. <laughs> and that is what I call it internally in my head from well. now on.
2: But now, if if you ever want to go to a game, Lori, I will go just for funsies because again, yes, I to explain it surely to you. I they will have good. Soccer.
1: And you need to watch if you haven't watched it. This is your your chance. You need to watch Ted Lasso on Apple TV. I still haven't. It is so wholesome. <sighs> he just knocks it out of the park, Jason. Now Super- I need to
0: find that skeletor meme or is i don't want to feel good i want to feel bad
1: <laughs> it is a
2: great show and i cannot wait for the next season it is it is really and i thought i would hate it um while we're talking about wholesome things can i end with a uh, true crime story that just popped up on my news feed that is an uh, excellent story yes. i guess you can yes fill us in real quick in South Carolina, a 60-year-old man who strangled his girlfriend died of a heart attack while burying yes, her he body was, yes, in yes, their yes. South Carolina backyard. Thank you, fate, for taking care of that for us. Do not bury a
0: body during Mercury retrograde. This is the kind of shit that will happen. Yep.
2: I'm sorry that that shouldn't be funny. It's not funny. That's fucking hilarious. It's karma is what it is. It's karma. Anyway, um, we did not discuss what our next episode topic is before we recorded. I can either tell y'all what we have in the schedule or we can just have it be a surprise. It'll be a a surprise for y'all. Okay, cool. All right. Well, um, Thanks, ladies, for all of your effort this week. I have fun. Y'all have fun. Lori, where can they find us?
1: We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Cemetery Row Pod. Or you can send us an email to cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. Woo-hoo! Send us pictures
0: of soccer players' thighs. Thank you. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yes. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye. Bye!